You're listening to Unsung, a crack magazine podcast on Sonos Radio, where the world's greatest artists reveal their heroes who never caught the spotlight. DJ Stingray, real name Sherrod Ingram, is one of the most thrilling DJs you're ever likely to see live. Born in Detroit, he grew up in the early 80s and struck gold when he was taught to DJ after school by Moody Man. While working in a record shop, he met James Stinson of the phenomenal Drexia, which led him to become their tour DJ, adopting the name Stingray and donning his signature mask. As a DJ and producer, Stingray specialises in future-facing electro, eschewing 4-4 rhythms for up-tempo, adventurous beat patterns, a world away from the friendly club groove. In 2016, Stingray relocated to Berlin, where before the pandemic, he was gigging regularly across Europe. What up, though? This is DJ Stingray 313. And today I'll be talking about my unsung hero, Mr. Keith Tucker, co-founder of Aux88. Whose aliases include DJ K1, Optic Nerve and Alien FM. Tucker played an integral part in the story of Detroit techno yet his story and influence remain unknown to many. DJ Stingray speaks to journalist and broadcaster Christine Kakare about Detroit motorcycle clubs, Tucker tracks which knock the floor out, and what it means to keep the funk. I hope you enjoy. Can I call you Sherrod or Stingray? Which do you prefer? Let's go with Stingray. With Stingray. Well, it's really good to talk to you, Stingray. Likewise. And we are here to talk about you, but also to talk about the person that you nominated as an unsung hero of yours. Do you want to introduce who you're going to be talking about? Uh, Yeah, um, my unsung hero is Keith Tucker. He's one of the founders of uh, Aux 88 what you would call an an electro band. Back in those days, we weren't calling it electro, but a keeper of the funk, you know? Somebody who I've really admired. In fact, my admiration and respect has grown, you know, as the years have progressed. And so I I thought this was a person that really doesn't get a lot of mention in um, the lore of Detroit techno. I I would say that... um, Keith Tucker is a rare breed, particularly in the United States. You don't have the amount of producers that make electronic music of that style, you know, which is more kind of an urban gritty style that uh, Keith Tucker does. I would describe him as a person who is, you know, definitely a visionary, uh, definitely a strong will because you have to be to make productions as many as he's made for as long as he's made, because right, you're going against the tide. You're going against a, a, a massive tidal wave of pop music, commercial music, you know, heavy metal, you name it. Absolutely. If people were to listen to this, who were interested in Detroit electronic music or techno or electro What would you recommend to them as like a good place to start when listening to Keith Tucker and exploring his very specific and distinct productions? How was this music first introduced to you? The first track that I heard from from Keith Tucker was on Metroplex and it was uh, Frequency and then the song was called Television. 
and it was a collaboration between Keith Tucker and another person. Uh, last name is Anderson. I forgot the first name. I apologize. But it was played so much on our local dance show called The Scene. This is the TV show, right? The Scene, yes. It was a TV show. It was by a local black station. I think it was the first black television station. I may be wrong. But it was very influential in the community. And yes, it was a, a show that came on every day. And they weren't just playing a lot of commercial music. They were playing underground stuff. I mean, stuff that you would... You would never hear a commercial radio station play. So that was my first exposure, I mean, to this absolutely, what I consider a great producer. Another track that really stood out was Bass Magnetic. And that was off, I'm pretty certain it was their first album. And I heard this track, I was riding around, I was on the east side of Detroit, I remember it was a cold day, it was snowy, I was going over to Anthony Shakir's house to, to you know, we were going, I was going to write a track, I remember that distinctly, we were riding around, and, and I was like, wow, what is this? And that was kind of like the first time I really got woken up to Arch 88. That was, the, that was uh, the first track that really woke me up and I wound up getting the album, the CD, and yeah, I was hooked. I'm just recalling that today and I mean, I got a big smile on my face, but yeah, those were the days. And you said that you were, you were more of a househead before you were engulfed by techno and electro and the kind of music that you're most associated with now. What was the, the houseier stuff that you were listening to before you dove into this world? I would say I eventually, where I kind of left off was Masters at Work. And, you know, I listened to a lot of Strictly Rhythm and uh, and, and going even before that, of course, the, the DJ International stuff and, uh, you know, that the label out of Chicago, uh, the famous tracks records, of course. And uh, I think it's East 52nd Street. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, you're making me try. You know, I got to blow off too many cobwebs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was listening, you know, to Farley and Steve Silk early and... You know, all that gang and, and, and a lot of new pal Joey out of New York. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was extensive. I was into it. <laughs> like all of those uh, artists and amazing record labels that you just mentioned are so associated with that early 90s, late 80s kind of New York-y sound. I'm curious to know, like, what, what kind of prompted this shift into 
what we, I guess, now associate as the Stingray sound. Like I know that you were working closely with Drexia. So what what was that kind of journey like from where you were before to the kind of sound that we associate with you now? Okay, so, you know, I was working at a record store in Detroit, Byright Music, and I always have to thank Cliff Thomas for giving me the opportunity there to just grow and listen to music all day and get paid for it. And I was listening to a DJ named Alan Oldham. He goes under the name of um, DJ T-1000, very famous artist. So he had a show on our local public access station named uh, Fast Forward. So I would listen to his show like every Friday night. And he was playing all this kind of weird stuff, you know, like uh, uh, Nine Inch Nails, uh, Chris and Cozy, uh, This Mortal Coil, Front 242, Revolting Cox, all that kind of stuff. I was and I really liked it. So I started going to another record store just about a mile away in the suburbs in Ferndale. It was called Sam's Jams. And so I would just start browsing the industrial sections, the alternative sections. And I started finding this music and that subsequently changed my sound palette. Right. And so I started looking into more harder, edgier things. Eventually I started working back at the record store again. And, and I started playing at, um, at a club, at a motorcycle club. I started playing there. And, you know, you needed to keep it high energy, you know. Right. And so I didn't like playing all the stuff talking about, you know, you know, dropping booties and all that kind of stuff. I like more the technical <laughs> stuff, you know, me and my partner, you know, he would play more the kind of street raunchy stuff. And I just stick kind of like with the techno. And I've told this story a hundred times. I apologize if you've, if you've heard it before. Love to hear it again. OK, well, we had to play the music kind of fast to keep people interested. Like if we played the records too long. Yeah, they would lose interest because, you know, back then that was when, you know, Tupac was just coming out and gangster rap was just like, I mean, it was blossoming. It was it was it was everywhere. Everybody was wearing dickies and throwing up sets and it was wild. (laughs) You know, we had to play the techno and we was going to and we wanted to play stuff like like Jesus loves acid. I encourage you to to research that. We would play records like that. It was we had to play it quick. We had to get it in and get it out of there. We had to kind of sandwich it in between, you know, like some ghetto tech or, you know, the dogs, Luke Skywalker, stuff like that. So my style kind of evolved from that experience. I apologize for the uh, graphic novel I just narrated. So where did this sound of Keith Tucker and the sound of your unsung hero, did it did it factor into this period of your life where you were playing these types of records out and about? I would say how it affected me was later down the road for me. Uh, and mainly it, I was affected in the way of uh, via his, his work ethic and his adherence to keeping it funky and keeping it something that people would play in any Detroit club, any Detroit club, you know. So I tried to keep that same kind of aesthetic, whereas, you know, you know, you stay in the lane and you you, you, know, you try to keep perfecting yourself release by release. 
I guess that's how I was affected by a sound. I, I apologize if that answer is a little nebulous. I love this idea of like a work ethic being something that influenced you. How have you incorporated that into what you do? You know what? I feel like Keith Tucker is a fellow soldier and we're fighting this war and, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to keep this certain spirit alive and inculcate it into other people. I feel like, you know, we're kind of linked. His production style is distinctly different from mine. You know what I mean? He's more about, you know, bass lines and keeping it up tempo, that kind of thing. Me, sometimes I'm a little all over the place and, you know, but um, I still feel like I make up for that in the way that I, I play my records, you know, or play music. So I just try to stay in the lane of um, what I think he's established. If you look at Detroit techno, you go check it out and you see what people were making at the beginning of their careers. And then you see, you know, where they're at now, even down to to the way that they play their music is is distinctly different. And I think uh, Keith has kept that that spirit of trying to progress musically. And again, I, I keep saying it over and over again, trying to keep the funk alive. I feel like I'm a, I'm a comrade with him. Perhaps it's a, a task that's difficult to put into words rather than demonstrate through listening to music. But if you had to kind of describe how Keith Tucker keeps the funk and has kept the funk throughout his career, how would you describe it? I would say his attention to always keeping a bass line, making sure the percussion is popping, snapping, and it's organized in a certain way, right? Like it's not, it's not just where he lays down his rhythm patterns and they're just filling up space. You know, there's feeling to it. He's changing patterns around it. You can tell he's making patterns. And I encourage you to listen and just listen to the way he changes the hi-hats, plays with the pitch of the bass, the 808 or whatever. And yeah, and, and, and also one of the very few artists that consistently uses vocals. Even the way that he uses vocals is kind of like a chant. You know, he's telling a story. You know, he's calling something out. If you go listen to their latest album, they have a song called uh, You Don't Want None of This. And it's about, you know, talking about Detroit and people who come into the city and who are pretenders. And it's like they don't really have the, the soul and the drive and they just use it they're just in detroit just using the name i guess the term i guess is overused i guess appropriation but i'm not trying to get off get into that too deeply let me say this can't replace us with no clones from some other time zone a unique way we rock this proof no other fucker stop this Keeping all your sneaky ways Trying to change the history Fake news when time to play Pay your dues, fuck out the way Don't make me repeat Yeah, he's the keeper of the funk in that way You know, using vocals and his percussions And making sure he's got bass lines and harmonies And uh, yeah, it's done in a way that, you know, just makes you want to dance Especially if you grew up in Detroit, you can just hear it. You can hear that style. 
I mean, the, 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 the funk is more of a philosophical concept. I'm sure one day, you know, we'll all sit down and develop uh, SI units in an empirical way to determine what is funk. But as of now, I can only relate to you through, you know, my own experiences and uh, preferences. But the latest magazine star, seen it all many times before. That was great. Is there any track of Keith Tucker's that is kind of your go-to reliable like dance floor destroyer or just like a secret weapon that works on any occasion? Oh my goodness. It's about two or three of them at least. I mean, that's just what I can recall. Okay. I'm going to give you two. One, I'll go back to where um, it's called Erase the Time. I think that's under his K1 alias. Do not attempt to change this record. Do not attempt to change the volume. Do not attempt to change the bass. And then another one is called Back to the Future, and that's under K-1-2. Both of those just, when I drop it, I mean, yeah, it's lights out. Lights out in what sense? Like everyone goes crazy? I mean, it's like, you know, I'm knocking the floor out. And I mean, you know, they go crazy, most places. 90% of the time when I play those two tracks, it sparks the, the the crowd up, gets them excited. You can it, there's there's a tangible elevation in the energy of the crowd. Do you consider Keith and I guess also Orcs 88 as one of his kind of key projects? Do you consider them to be unsung, not getting the recognition that they deserve? Absolutely. Because, you know, if you just go back and you take, let's just, I'm just choosing a random number. You say, you know, 100 articles about the, the history of Detroit techno. While they typically mentioned the key players and the people who, yes, were definitely fundamental in establishing the genre and contributed greatly to it. I mean, come on, Hall of Fame, statues, whatever you want to do. I definitely think there's another section of people who contributed equally. And one thing I, I want to say why I hold him and uh, Keith Tucker and uh, Ox 88 in such high esteem is they were able to get Detroit people dancing, which is extremely tough to do if it, if it wasn't R&B, you know, rap, that kind of thing. If it wasn't that, you know, and you're talking about, you know, this, you know, this repetitive electronic music, talking about space and all this and bass and through his Aux 88 and other aliases w- was able to, to stay consistently in on radio, mix shows, and in clubs. And you know, you hear people riding around playing his tracks. That is impressive for a city 
like Detroit. But uh, to to circle back to your question, yeah, you know, I think he's as as the title of this um, piece is simply unsung. I don't know if people are doing it on purpose. Is it lazy journalism? But I definitely think he should definitely be mentioned more often than he is. I guess also as a, a follow-on question, Keith Tucker is your unsung hero. Do you have any inklings as to why perhaps Keith Tucker or Orcs 88 haven't been given the recognition or the accolades that they deserve? I'm going to put most of it on lazy journalism, some of it on, you know, okay, who's more marketable according to some person's schema that they have. or And also, I think the style of music it might have been a little bit too urban for certain people's taste. And they found other styles a little more palatable. So they, they turned their attention to those. You know, if you're researching the history of blues and it's like, okay, you're going to mention the obvious, the BB Kings, the Muddy Waters, but there are some other influential artists in, in blues that, you know, you never hear about, but they basically laid down the foundation. You know, they are the blues. And I think that's the case here. It's just the, the way that media works and people's attention spans and their tastes. It's, it's, it's like a kind of like a mix of those things rather than just one monolithic outstanding factor. You say, this is the reason. I think it's, it's a confluence of reasons. You know, I just really have a lot of respect for him, and I think it's a he did. This is a person who, a younger producer, they should take their time and do some research. I'm not saying that you got to go copy everything that what he's done, but take a look at him, check out some of his interviews, listen to his music, some of his philosophies. I really think it would enhance you as an artist, no matter what your genre is, or what your pursuit is. I think you, anybody, could learn from this person. listening to Unsung, a crack magazine podcast on Sonos Radio, where the world's greatest artists reveal their heroes who never caught the spotlight. Thanks to our guest, DJ Stingray. It was hosted by Christine Kakare and produced by me, Eliza Lomas. The series leads are Duncan Harrison and Luke Sutton. To keep Crack Magazine independent, visit crackmagazine.net forward slash support.